We were a political household. I, I was not, not cognizant of that until I was an adult and looked back uh, at how we grew up and the conversations that we went through and uh, talked about education and so on. And uh, the, the principles that my father tried to ingrain in it. That is, again, a familiar voice. Uh, we heard it last week. We did. Randy Dixon with the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History is with me. Back in, in your studio. In my studio. Fewer Emmy Awards in the <laughs> studio, however, Randy. We spent time with Dale Bumpers last week. We're going to have some more time with Dale Bumpers this week. Well, last week we profiled his political career with use of the KATV archives. But uh, the Pryor Center, which we do long-form interviews with Arkansans, uh, interviewed Dale Bumpers and Betty Bumpers to for uh, several hours um, back in 2010, Archie Schaefer and Ernie Dumas sat down with uh, with Dale Bumpers, and um, he just talked about his his entire life and uh, it, it just reminisced. Um, and Ernie Dumas, of course, a longtime uh, Arkansas journalist. Yes, and Archie Schaefer, uh, who was his chief of staff. Uh, oh, that's right. For yes, many of years, and, but is also his nephew. Right. So uh, they both did the interviews and spent the entire day uh, with him. But our father was our tutor. He was the disciplinarian, and uh, he was he he was the one who who wanted us to be schooled in uh, not just education. But he wanted us to be schooled in politics. He wanted, he wanted us to know who the first president of the United States was, who the present president of the United States was, and a lot of those in between. He was a particularly, uh, he was particularly in love with Abraham Lincoln. He, he talked a lot about Lincoln. And so far as he was concerned, obviously George Washington wasn't in the same league with Lincoln. Intellectually, are uh, in, in character, and he would talk about that. And so we grew up thinking about different politicians that had made this country great. All right, so we know Dale Bumpers was born in Charleston, which isn't that far from when, where you and I are sitting. It's in northwest, west Arkansas. That was in 1925. That's right, and he was, as we heard, his father had a big influence on him, but uh, his, his mother and father were uh, very active in the Methodist church, there and uh, anyway, he grew up, went to public schools in Charleston, and then came to, he up here to the University of Arkansas, and spent some time in the Marines mm. because it was World War II. Spent three years there, and then graduated from Northwestern University Law School in Chicago. And at that point, he returned to Charleston to practice law. Charleston was not then, nor is now. A big city. That's right. He was actually the only attorney in town. He he wrote his book, "The Best Lawyer in a One Lawyer Town," and he he wasn't kidding. He was the only one. All right. So we have him talking to Ernie Dumas and Archie Schaefer about when he gathered the family together to say in 1970, "I'm going to run for governor." Well, we met in Chicago, and and I laid it out for him in about an hour. Uh, what 
what what the chances were, what the geographics were, everything, the politics of it. And my sister, my sister said, now I want to make sure I understand this. You're telling me that there are eight people in the race counting you? And I said, yes. One is the attorney general and one is the house speaker. And the others uh, have held public office or they wouldn't be in the legislature. I said, yes. She named one or two others. And she says, and if you win, if you, if you win the Democratic primary, that you also have to, in order to win it, you also have to beat Orville Faubus. I said, yes, that's true, too. And then if you defeat Orville Faubus, you've got to get, run against the governor, Winthrop Rockefeller, in the Republican runoff, in the Republican election, general election. I said, yes, that's right. And she, she was not above foul language. And I, I'll skip the foul language. She said, I ain't getting involved in this mess. This is the craziest thing I've ever heard of. Ego trip. Ego trip, yeah. She said, she used a profanity, you know, this so-and-so ego trip. And so we stayed two more hours, and my brother was making my case for me all during that two hours, and I left there with $50,000 in my pocket. And so that's what we started with. And so he did make the decision to run, and last week we played a portion of his announcement, and I thought, you know, great piece of history, very positive. Well, he didn't really see it that way. It, it was the, the biggest downer of my life. I had uh, <clears throat> some of the uh, Little Rock Press Corps was there. The more prestigious people like you were not there. And uh, so they started asking sort of silly questions because they— they thought the whole thing was a joke. They thought, thought that my whole campaign, my whole everything was a joke. And they were, they were, uh, they trying to make a funny, funny thing out of it. There were a few people, there were about 50 people that we had rounded up to get there just so we had a crowd. And, the, and I was asked kind of foolish questions. And I try to keep it on a serious track without much success. But in any event, there were two or three people there who thought it might be uh, doable. Not, not easily doable, but the, they, they didn't think it was a funny thing. They didn't think it was a joke. They thought it was uh, a thing that was worth them paying attention to and writing a story about it, and which they did. But when I left there, I've never been so depressed in my life because I knew, I knew that nobody there was really taking this candidacy very serious. This is why these interviews are so interesting to me. These things that we assume how someone felt or thought at the time are not necessarily the case. Well, the news had one perspective. Right. And then he had a completely different one that I had no idea about until he told the story. All right. He wins and he wins re-election for governor. That's back when Arkansas gubernatorial terms were for two years. Right. Not only did he win the Democratic primary, he beat 
uh, Winthrop Rockefeller. The incumbent. Yes, in in the general election. All right. Then, then, after two terms as governor, or actually during the second term of governor, he announces he's going to go for an even bigger seat. Yeah, and it was pretty gutsy. Uh, he had been known to the public for less than four years, and all of a sudden he's decided he's going to run against Senator William Fulbright. Who's a household name not just across the state, not just across the nation, but across the world. That's right. And uh, he knew that it was it was going to be a, a tough hill to climb. With Bill Fulbright, I had been a strong admirer of Bill Fulbright. So I, I thought he was a great senator, a very bright man. Uh, you know, maybe made a few votes that I took exception to, but for the most part, he was... Uh, he was well-known, well-liked, bright, and served us well. Having said that, I also knew, looking at the poll numbers, that if I didn't run, somebody that, as I hate to say this, somebody that would not have been my equal could have defeated him. And uh, I thought if somebody was going to defeat him, it ought to be me. Now, that sounds arrogant, but... Uh, I just, uh, when I looked at those poll numbers and I saw how lopsided they were, I decided I had to do it. And I tried to make it as pleasant as possible. I mean, Senator Fulbright got a little bit raunchy at times, but, and I, I could see that he was, you know, he was so unhappy. And he was telling his close friends, you know, I just can't believe that uh, the governor would do this to me. I thought he was my friend and so on. But, you know, in politics, you have to understand one thing. You have to look out for yourself or you've wound up behind the fence. I didn't want to run against Bill Fulbright. He was a friend. He was everything you'd want in a politician. But if I didn't run based on the poll numbers I was looking at, he was going to beat, somebody was going to beat him. And it could have been somebody like Jim Johnson. And so I had no difficulty in finally making up my mind to run against Senator Fulbright, even though it was very unpleasant. All right, Senator Bumpers, well, not yet Senator Bumpers, Dale Bumpers beats uh, Senator Fulbright in that Democratic primary. It's sort of young lion versus established veteran of the Senate. And hard to believe now, perhaps, because they are two of the biggest names in Arkansas politics history, but... Senator Fulbright wasn't that pleased that he had to face and then lose to Dale Bumpers. Well, he, and he he held on to that resentment for years, um, and they didn't speak. So uh, it, he's telling the story of, of how they finally made up. He, uh, he had refused to speak to me. He didn't want to see me. Uh, nothing. And one time after about... Oh, between five and ten years after that election. Harriet, his wife, told me that he got up every morning in a foul mood, just harump this and harump that. This is awful and that's terrible. And he just couldn't believe that Governor Bumpers would take him on like that after all he'd done for me. And she said to him one morning, she said, you know, you ought to try to make up with Senator Bumpers. Are you crazy? She said, well, 
I think he'd be happy to make up with you. And she said, uh, you, you could establish a relationship with him and it'd work out fine for you. And he just wasn't having any of that. And uh, she, she said, you know, if you had your choice of people to succeed you as senator, you would have easily chosen Senator Bumpers. Uh, you know, you'd said nice things about him. You thought he was doing a good job. And because you got beat, you were making a big deal out of it against him. She said he didn't say a word. She said, if you really were the kind of person you ought to be, you'd go get on that phone and call Senator Bumpers and ask him if he'd have lunch with you tomorrow. Uh, he just rumped that one away, too. So anyway, uh, he came down the next morning and told his wife, he said, uh, Harriet, said, Harriet, I've been thinking about what you said. And I think I'll do that. I think I'll call Lee Williams and have him call Senator Bumpers and see if we can get together. And she said, don't you do that. You let... Uh, you let Lee Williams, he said he was going to call me, and she said, no, don't you do that. You let Lee call him. And so Lee called me and asked me about it. And I said, well, Lee, you know, I would love to have lunch with Senator Fulbright. He was, I've always been a fan of his, and I've just been so sad through the years that we haven't been able to make up. So uh, we set up the meeting at the 116 Club, and we met for three hours. And it was a really genuinely healthy experience for both of us. Listening to the voice of Dale Bumpers from an interview with the uh, Prior Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History. He died in 2016. This interview is in 2010? Yes, yes. Randy Dixon is with the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History. Where can we find this Dale Bumpers interview and so much more? Just go Google Pryor Center and go to the Arkansas Memories section, and you'll find all kinds of interviews. All right. Thank you, Randy. Thank you. I'll see you next week.